Welcome to the Soma Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope what you hear fills your heart with hope and purpose. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends. Here's today's message. But I had a friend um, who uh, was just an incredibly authentic dude. Um, and he was somebody who's kind of a discipler um, of me. When I first got saved, he was younger than me, and I went to high school with him. Um, but then later on in college, he became a really strong influence in my life for Christ. And um, I would often sit next to him in church on Sunday mornings when I eventually got saved um, at the church where he happened to be going. Um, and he was by far, um, I think perhaps, the worst singer ever. I mean, like the dude could not carry a, a, a tune in a bucket, or I don't even know what that means, but he was not a good singer. But it never stopped him from being himself and from being incredibly authentic and being incredibly sincere. He would sing at the top of his lungs. Um, and instead of like, hey, could you, like, I would all, I loved it because um, he was so in love with Jesus that he, it didn't matter to him that he wasn't a good singer. Um, he still sang anyway. So I say that for the sake of any of you who may feel like you're bad singers when you go to church on Sunday and you maybe like want to tone it down a little bit. Um, it's not about how good it sounds as much as it is how, the place of your heart. And so today, as we talk about the subject of hypocrisy, I think it's very, very fitting that each and every one of us um, understand that God does not look on the outward as a man does, but he looks inwardly. He looks at the heart. He's looking on the inside, um, and that's what he wants to be after more than anything today. Um, so uh, I know it's kind of a, a difficult or maybe tricky subject to talk about uh, hypocrisy, but I think it's something that, um, that really we do need to talk about because the reality is, is that uh, non-Christians were polled and 85% of them said that they would never go to a church because they felt like Christians were hypocrites. 85% of, non, of, of non-professing Christians said that they would never go to a church because they felt like the church was full of hypocrites. And even um, Christians were polled themselves in a Barna research poll. I hope this makes sense the way I explain this because it's kind of an interesting poll. They, they took the attitudes of what they considered, considered Pharisaic behaviors, the, the behaviors of Pharisees, the self-righteous, and then they took the attitudes of Jesus and they disguised them and they said, which one fits you the most? And, um, and 14% of the Christians that were polled in this Barna research poll said that their attitude and their behavior matched Jesus, whereas 51% of the people polled said their attitudes and their behavior matched that of a Pharisee. Isn't that crazy? That they were more like Pharisees based upon their own confession than, than like Jesus. So needless to say, the question that we're asking this morning, although a a sticky one and a messy one a little bit, is one that we need to ask because because there are plenty of people, even if we don't ask it of ourselves, that are asking it out there. And I feel like it's important for us to talk about it in here so that we can talk about it out there. And maybe, too, so that we can eliminate it if it happens to find its way into our life. So the question here this morning, and I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey, so I hope you don't mind. And then I I typically like to start off with the Word of God, but I'm actually going to come towards the Word of God at the end of this message. So I want to take you on a little bit of a journey to answer this question. Is the church full of hypocrites? Is the church full of hypocrites? And I know that that may not be worded in the most polished and polite manner, but this is the question. Again, I like being honest. I like being real. Um, This is the question that a lot of people are asking. 
um, of us in here today and asking outside of these four walls. Is the church full of hypocrites? So like I said, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. So I want to start all the way back in the Old Testament. All right. In fact, if you look in the New Testament and you look at some of the Old Testament characters from Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see some mighty men of God who'd, and women of God who did some amazing things. You'll hear about David, who was a giant slayer. You'll hear about Abraham, who even though he was an old man, 90 years old, believed God and, and had a child. You'll hear about Moses. I love this one. You'll hear about Moses. It says that he was a ruler in Egypt, but he thought, it, um, he thought that the reproaches of Christ were of greater riches. Listen to that. That being reproached or being accused or suffering Suffering for Jesus was of greater value than all the treasure of Egypt. That's what it says about Moses in, in Hebrews chapter 11. So in other words, he stepped off of his throne because the riches of being a ruler were not as important as following Jesus. Well, that's a man of God right there. But then you go back to the Old Testament and you see that these Old Testament heroes who were in Hebrews chapter 11, they, they've got some issues in their life. In fact, Abraham... He was a liar, and he was an adulterer. In order to have the baby, he was getting so old, he thought to himself, there's no way that we're going to have this baby, and I don't think my wife can conceive, so I'm going to go have an affair with another woman, and then we'll have that baby that God was talking about. And God's like, no, 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 you need to trust me. And then much, much later on, Abraham will eventually have Isaac with his wife. Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson, was a deceiver and a polygamist. Moses was a murderer. David, the guy who defeated that giant, was a murderer and an adulterer. See, he, he committed adultery, and the woman that he committed adultery with got pregnant, and he wanted to try to hide it. So uh, he couldn't have the husband figure out about it, so he planned uh, for that guy to get killed so that he would never get caught. And then he just decided, well, this grieving widow, I need to befriend her. And eventually they fell in love and had a baby together. But little did, did they know that David's big ruse was actually David just trying to cover up the fact that he was, had, had an affair with this woman. And then Peter was a segregationist. That's kind of going into the New Testament there. But Peter, um, I think at the very least you could say he was somebody who felt like Jews should be separated from Gentiles. In fact, Paul will later in the New Testament get on his case because he refuses to eat with Gentiles, believers of Jesus, around Jewish believers of Jesus because they were a very segregated society back then. And God even has to give him a dream to show him that it's okay to associate with non-Jewish people. Now, what do you call that? I mean, you may want to even go as far as to call him a racist, but I'm going to be a little bit nicer to him and call him a segregationist. He only hang out, hung out with people that are, that are like him. So I ask again, is the church full of hypocrites? Is the church full of hypocrites? Well, let's continue on in the New Testament and talk about that guy that rebuked Peter, and let's talk about the guy Paul. Paul is responsible for writing like one-third of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's one of the greatest missionaries to ever live, one of the greatest men of God to ever live. If I could be like anybody, I'd want to be like Paul, but I'm not sure I want to go through the shipwrecks and the stoning and all of the different things that he had to endure in order to be the man of God that he was. Paul, definitely a hero. I hope he's a hero of yours, one of the greatest men in the Bible. But listen to Paul's own confession of himself. 
Here is a trustworthy saying, and this is 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, if you know the story of Paul, you know that before Paul was converted, he was a, a murderer. He killed Christians. Um, and he was a zealot, uh, a very zealous Jew who killed other Christians. And, and so you may think to yourself, when you read this verse of Scripture, maybe that's what Paul's talking about. Because truly, if he's a sinner, then what am I? Because he was one of the greatest men that, that ever lived. And, 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 and so he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He didn't even say I was the worst. He says I am the worst. Kind of back this up. Look at Romans. This is Romans chapter 7, um, starting in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. This is Paul talking. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, now listen to him. He's talking about there's something inside of me that's causing me to do things that I really shouldn't do and don't want to do. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living inside of me. So even Paul, struggling with sin, says there's something going on inside of me that, that, that makes me want to do things that I shouldn't do. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, I don't want you to get the impression, so don't get it twisted. Paul wasn't just some evil man going around sinning constantly. He's just trying to prove the point that if you try to be good in and of yourself, you can't do it. You can't be perfect enough to be perfect. You can't do it. I mean, it's like sweeping a dirt floor. You can't be good enough and get that thing clean enough to where it finally doesn't have dirt anymore. And the same thing is true. This is why we need Jesus. And so this is kind of what Paul is saying. And so even if this man of God could say, I am a sinner, what does that mean? So the question remains, is the church full of hypocrites? Let's fast forward a little bit in time and let's go to the early church. So this is a story that I'm very fascinated by because of its implications. But in the early church, um, uh, uh, in AD 64, there was an emperor named Nero. And some of you guys have heard of this guy. Totally nuts. All right, so he would put Christians in the Colosseum and have them face off with lions. He would hoist up Christians, light their bodies on fire, and he would light the streets of Rome at night with burning Christians on stakes that he would line up against the road. Um, Christians were persecuted for what they believed in the Roman Empire, um, and, 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 and they were fought against con continually. And it came to a head in, in, during the third century in the Diocletian persecution. You can look it up on Wikipedia and become an expert like everybody else on the internet these days. Um, the Diocletian persecution was a period in which Christianity officially became outlawed. So you would either be punished and or killed if you were seen as worshiping Jesus and not worshiping the gods of Rome, specifically the god Rome, goddess Roma, the god, uh, goddess of Rome. So, so it became officially outlawed to be a Christian during the Diocletian persecution. Well, in 313, a man named Constantine took the throne, and he developed, after a conversion experience, as history tells us, that he developed an edict called the Edict of Milan, but it was simply a letter that was written to say this, that Christianity would now no longer officially be outlawed. 
Fast forward just a little bit in time and you have something called the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And I'm getting to a point with this, so hang with me. But in 325 AD, a false doctrine about Christianity has risen up called Arianism. And it's a, so you can associate it with modern-day Mormonism or, um, or modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses. This is kind of what Arius believed, and it's what they believe now presently. Um, and so this was being battled all the way back then in 325. And, and, and Constantine called together bishops and, and, and elders and deacons of the church, men of God, to all come together in this one place to officially decide what Christians truly believe. Now think about this. This is the extraordinary thing about this. Men who were once having church underground. Men who were scarred. Maybe they had missing limbs, missing fingers, missing eyes. Um, Men who used to run for their lives because of what they believed were now sitting in the palace of the Roman emperor who was a convert to Christianity. And slowly but surely, Christianity would become the empire-wide religion. And so what a twist of fate. What a glorious moment in Christian history they must have thought sitting in that palace where before they were fighting for their lives and now they're sitting with a king and deciding what true Christianity really is all about. And so the Council of Nicaea takes place um, and they go from a persecuted people to a place of, of widespread popularity. Well, 70 years down the road, fast forward 70 years, and now Christians who are in power who were once persecuted, have now become the persecutors. So now they have officially um, espoused a belief that if you do not convert to Christianity, you are a heretic and an apostate, and you must either be punished or killed. Isn't that ironic? That the people who once had the same thing positioned against them because of their unbelief are now positioning this thing against other people because of their unbelief? Well, because of their belief, they are now fighting against people because of their unbelief. Imagine that. If you ask me, that's kind of the height of hypocrisy. And then you can go even further along down the historical pathway, and you can see things like the Inquisition, and you can see things that happened in in the time during uh, the, the Christian Crusades and that kind of stuff. And some of the things that took place during those times, and certainly, hardly, you could call those things Christian, some of the things that took place during those times. And so the question remains, is the church full of hypocrites? So if we're going to answer the question, we have to probably answer this final question, what is a hypocrite? Well, uh, the, the word hypocrite comes from the original Greek, and it literally means to be an actor or an interpreter from underneath. And so the idea is simply this, um, and you'll see a picture here on the screen. Um, the idea is this, is that actors back in the day during Greek times, they would wear masks, right? You've probably seen that, uh, those masks and maybe different things, maybe like the Academy Awards. I can't remember exactly where it is, but those, those uh, drama masks, one has a smiley face and one has a frowny face to show comedy and tragedy. Um, and so these actors would put on these masks and from underneath the mask, that's where the underneath comes, far, comes from, uh, underneath that mask, they would play a part. So in other words, the idea is this, is that a hypocrite is somebody who's just merely an actor. They got a disguise on and they're pretending to be something that they are not. And that's where we get our kind of present understanding of what a hypocrite is. Somebody who's disguised or somebody who's playing a part. Somebody who's not truly authentic about who they are. 
That's what, that's what it means to essentially be a hypocrite. And so, what does that mean in terms of us? So, is, it, is the church full of hypocrites? Well, D. James Kennedy said this. If the church is full of hypocrites, uh, there's always room for one more, so it's okay. And he actually said this. He said, listen, if you do find the perfect church, by all means, do not join it. Because the moment you join the perfect church, it will cease to be perfect. It will no longer be a perfect church the moment you join it. Because anytime there's people involved, there's imperfection involved. And so I just want to declare to you today, Soma Church in the church, the biblical church, is not a church for perfect people. It's not a church for people who have their act together. It's just not. What is the church for? Well, I, I, can, I can say beyond a shadow of a, this, uh, of a doubt this. When you come to church, you come to church with an admission of sorts. Maybe you didn't do it this morning, but if, but if you want to believe what the Bible says, then essentially when you came to church this morning, you made an admission. And it's the one place in society where, where you are, 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 maybe not forced is the wrong word, but maybe you're... you're position to look at what's truly going on inside of your your heart in other words you don't come through the doors of this church without first making an admission whether you want to make it publicly whether you want to make it verbally you're making an admission because this is what the church is all about and here's the admission is that you have issues i have issues we all have issues. Just by your mere presence here this morning, if you're a gospel-believing Christian, you made the confession, not that you're perfect, but that you have issues. And listen, if you don't think you have issues, guess what? That's your issue. We all have issues from time to time. So is the church full of hypocrites? Is the church full of hypocrites? And so here's my answer to the question through all of that that I just took you through. No. No, it is not. The church is not full of hypocrites. The church is full of sinners. Now, I know that's a strong word. It's a word that you don't even hear very much anymore. It's like sinners. Like, uh, what does that even mean? Well, I, the reason I use it here this morning, because I probably could have chose a trendier word. I could have chosen a less biblical word. But the reason I use it here this morning is just simply this, because of the definition of the word sinner. It means to be somebody who misses the mark. So think about it this way. Maybe you got a bow, you got an arrow, and you're trying to hit that bullseye. And you get close, but you just can't seem to hit it. You just can't seem to aim and get perfect aim every single time. That's what it means to be a sinner. And so when actually when we say the word, oh, you're a sinner, it's, it's got this bad connotation to it, but really it's life-giving to admit, you know what? I don't hit the mark. Sometimes I don't add up. But therein is the beauty of Jesus Come on, somebody better get excited in their spirit this morning. And, and, and if you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not about putting on your Sunday best. It's not about coming here this morning because you got your act together. It is about praising the one who has his act together, the one who is perfect, the one who can lead us and guide us. That's what our praise is all about this morning. Listen, if you were praising yourself this morning, I can understand if you didn't like the music because, because it wasn't about you. It was about Jesus. And everything that he's done. And how good and how glorious and how mighty he is. Maybe you, you disagree with me here this morning. And so I want to show you the scripture verse to show you the church is a place for sinners. Look at this. This is Luke chapter 18. 
says, also he spoke this parable, Jesus is the he here, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So in other words, this is the person that said, well, I'm nothing like those other people. I, I can't believe they would do something like that. It's like, yeah, it's, I had this idea when I was reading this. I, th- I thought about the person who says, God, I cannot stand her because she gossips. It's like you're gossiping about that person while you're telling you, that this other person that you can't stand gossip. It's like, I can't, this is kind of the thing. It's like you're saying, I can't, I can't stand those people who do that stuff. Oh, God. And then Jesus tells a story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off. Now, so that's the Pharisee's prayer. Here's the tax collector's prayer. Standing afar off so he wouldn't even come to the front. And this is what he said. His eyes to heaven and beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you see the difference there? I'm better than other men. And then this prayer, God, forgive me for what I've done. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself would be exalted. You know, one of the most dangerous things that you can say, one of the most dangerous things that you'll ever say is, I'm good. I'm good. And I mean that both ways. I'm good. I don't need anything. Oh, don't ever get there, saints. Don't ever get there to the place where you say, I'm good. I don't need anything, God. I'm right where I need to be. Everything's great in my life, God. No. There's still more. There's still more. Listen, somebody needs a soul check, maybe even here this morning. Maybe you don't like the fact that we're talking about hypocrites in church, but maybe you'll just like this. You know the one thing that you will always need? More Jesus. I don't care who you are. I can, I can be enough of a prophet to read your mail this morning and say, you know what you need? You know what I need? We need more Jesus. That don't ever get to the place where you say, I'm good, but don't ever get to the place, too, where you, you make the kind of second definition of that term. I'm a good person. Well, compared to them, because that's all you can do if you're going to rest in your own goodness, is all you can do is you can compare yourself to other people. Well, compared to that person, I mean, look at me. I'm a pretty good person. Listen, I've talked to tons and tons of people who are not believers in Jesus Christ, and this is one of the most common things I hear. In fact, the vast majority of people, if you ask them, you know, maybe you believe in God, maybe you don't. Let's put that to the side. Let's just ask this. Let's assume Jesus exists. Are you going to heaven? Vast majority of people will say this. Well, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. You know, I try to do good for other people, and I, I'm a pretty good person. It's one of the most dangerous things you'll ever say, because if you're good enough not to need God, you will totally miss how desperately you do truly need him every moment of every day. And I would say this, unless you're living like Jesus, then guess what? You need him. So, I come back to our question when I say, why is the church not a place of hypocrites if it is a place of sinners? Because when you come to Jesus, 
You have to put, take off the disguise. You have to take off the mask. This morning, I hope not a single one of you think that I'm perfect and I do everything that I need to. When we come to church here this morning, we don't come as pretenders that have all of it together, all of our act together, and everything's just exactly as it needs to be in our life. No, 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 no. Let's not pretend that at least we're not them. No. This morning, we praise the one who is good, And we ask him to help us be more like him. Don't veer away from that attitude. Don't think you're so good that you don't need him anymore. Or that even in a message like this, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a sinner. Then I'll just tell you like Jesus told those guys who brought that woman caught in the act of adultery. Well, then if you don't have sin, then please, by all means, if you're totally perfect and you don't have any sin in your life and you never miss the mark, then please go ahead. Pick up your stone and throw it. But if there is sin in your life, then perhaps we need to drop the stone and we need to come to the person that we've been questioning for far too long and really come to know him. So the church is a place, not of hypocrites, but I think the church is a place of sinners. But I also want to speak to the other side of this because I don't want you to, to, to get it twisted in this sense that, that, oh, we just come to Jesus and we just, you know, Christians like to rhyme things. So um, sloppy agape, you know, uh, uh, greasy grace. Like we just, we just believe in Jesus so we can go do whatever we want to when we leave this place. No, 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 no. See, that's not what I'm saying when I say, when I'm, I'm coming to the place where I say coming to church is an admission of guilt, a confession that we are sinners. I'm not saying that that's then excuse to just say, well, Jesus forgave me, so I don't ever have to change. I think the reverse is actually the truth because the church is not just a place of sinners. The church is also a place of saints and a place for saints. And in fact, you are one in the same. If you've truly believed in Jesus, you are both sinner and saint. And I know you think to yourself, well, that's a contradiction. Reed. You can't be a sinner and a saint. Let me show you what Jesus says here, going back to that story that I just mentioned with the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Look at this with me, because I think that this will summarize everything we're trying to get after here today. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. So they find this woman who caught in the act of adultery. Some theologians question whether or not that's true or not. I actually tend to think that it was true um, based upon the conversation Jesus has with this woman. But they caught her in the act of adultery. They stand her before Jesus. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? All right. So they want uh, this woman stoned because of what she did, and they're questioning Jesus. And they were using this question, of course, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write into the ground with his finger. A lot of people have some assumptions about what Jesus wrote. It's not important here this morning. But when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. So he just continues to write. And Jesus was like this a lot, by the way. People would come and ask him questions, and then he would just frustrate them because he didn't give them what they wanted. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, see this, see this scene. So Jesus straightened up, and he asked her. He stops writing on the ground now. 
By the way, some people assume that like Jesus may have been writing the mistress's name of the men who were having affairs with those with stones in their hands. He's like, oh yeah, well, how about you know that lady? Uh, It's probably not what he was writing. Um, but, um, But Jesus straightened up then and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Now, I imagine she was probably teary-eyed at this point, totally distraught. And then this is Jesus' response to her. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So here's the idea, is that the church is a place of sinners and saints. The church is a place where, like this woman, we come to Jesus and we admit that we're a sinner. It's the first thing you need to do is you need to first and foremost, you need to be willing to admit that you missed the mark and that you desperately need Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel, guys. Not that we have our act all together. So when people accuse the church of being a bunch of hypocrites, um, they miss the point of the church. The church is not a place for perfect people. It's a place where people don't always get it right. So first and foremost, we need to admit that we're a sinner. And the second thing we need to do, just like this woman did when all of the accusers finally left, is to stand alone before Jesus and to seek his help. Yep, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. And then as Jesus spoke to her, where are your accusers? Listen, I don't accuse you anymore. And Jesus gave her forgiveness. This is the gospel right here, guys. Admit you're a sinner. Come to Jesus. Listen, there's not a lot of pastors who will have this kind of conversation with you. And it's not because we're small. I would have this conversation if we had 1,500 people here this morning. Because this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the thing that will truly bring liberty, grace, goodness, freedom into your life. And it's paradoxical because you think to yourself, well, if I just try harder to be a better person, well, then that's when I'll be a better person. No, this is the true pathway to sainthood, is to get the help of Jesus to admit you're a sinner and then come to Jesus and then to do what he said, go and sin no more. Now, I want to clarify here because the reality is is that you'll always have sin in measure in your life. You'll always have sin in your life. And so if you're so mad about what other people have done to you, remember that you've done things too to other people. Maybe you didn't even know it because you've got sin in your life, I've got sin in my life. So here's the promise of go and sin no more. I think what Jesus is saying here is, is, is come to me, but don't just come to me on a Sunday and say, hey, I've got my, my Christian badge here. I've got my church attendance badge here. Don't just come and, and get religious on Jesus when you finally come to him and say, well, I've been forgiven, but keep on pursuing him. Keep on deepening your relationship with him, and he will produce in you fruits of true righteousness, not self-righteousness. So when he says, go and sin no more, I think what he's saying is, is not that now that you've come to me, you're sinless, but, but go and sin less and less and less. And, and the more you get to know Jesus, the more you will sin less and less and less. So I want you to be real, I want to be real clear here as we kind of sum up this morning. Is that, is that no, we're not going to be a church of hypocrites. No, we're not going to be a church of people who just look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're not willing to admit that we have insecurity, that we have battles with lust, that we have bad thoughts, that, 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 that even the people who are closest to us, we're hiding things from them. 
that, that we don't want them to know about us. No, that's not who we're going to be as Christians. No, we're going to be the type of people who kind of make this word sinner not taboo anymore, and we come and we recognize, yes, we are sinners, but we're also saints because God has called us to freedom, and God has called us to go and sin no more. So no, we're not hypocrites. We're a combination. We're a confused kind of people, maybe if you want to put it that way. We're a combination of sinner and saint, people who once were and are now becoming something else as we pursue Jesus Christ. So don't ever get to the place where you're just like, oh, well, yes, I'm addicted. Oh, yes, I've, I've, I look at porn, but, but Jesus has forgiven me. No, 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 no. When we say we're sinners, we're not saying that, that that's where Jesus wants us to be. What we're saying is, is the best way for you to deal with whatever is going on behind closed doors in your own heart and in your own life is to come to the place where you quit trying to do it on your own and you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need thee every hour. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, please check out our channel for past episodes. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. For more info about Soma Church, please go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you in person.